the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Doing a little back to school shtick where I'm going over content that will last 10 days in one-hour formats, where if you listen to all 10 hours, you'll have, basically, if you're naive, you'll have you'll lost your naivety. It won't be the end-all, be-all financial primer. It's not meant to be. I'm jumping around topics pretty aggressively. For instance, a couple of days of setting priorities, a couple of days of, you know, making a budget and insurance issues, uh, talking, investing in stocks, bonds, and real estate. I'm really trying to, to fly around the various areas and, again, put them in easy, digestible forms that you can consume by a podcast uh, later in life. Tell your kids, hey, go grab this and listen to this. Um, things along those lines is my goal. doesn't mean I'll hit it, but it's certainly my goal. So one area that I want to talk about is buying a home. It's part of the American dream, and I think that it could be part of the American nightmare, um, first and foremost, your number one priority to me is funding your retirement, age 60 to 100. It's not buying a home. If buying a home is your number one priority, then your number two priority would be funding your retirement nest egg, right? But in retirement, if you have a nest egg, you can rent a place, you can live with a friend in his room. There's, there's all sorts of options. But if you don't have money in retirement, you don't have a place to live. Or maybe your house rich and cash poor, and that's not a good way to live. So, you know, these are just the, the start concepts that we get out there with. So don't buy a home if you can't stay put. If you can't commit to remaining in a place at least a few years, owning is probably not for you. Not yet, at least. With the transaction cost of buying and selling a home, you may end up losing money if you sell any sooner than, say, you know, five years. Even in a rising market, um, if it's falling, you're screwed with the fees and the costs. So don't buy if you can't stay put. It's that simple. You want to shore up your credit. Before you buy a home, you want to take a look at your credit report, see if there's any mistakes on it, start working with a mortgage lender, see what you could truly afford. But you really want 
first to see your credit report, right? Uh, you're going to need a mortgage to buy a house. That's why you need credit. Um, a mortgage is typically 15 or 30 years. I tend to like to go with a 30 years so that I can keep funding my retirement with a full maximum, uh, 15% per year. But I could make a case for a 15 when rates are low and you're a little later in life getting married. Um, you don't want to be carrying a mortgage around in, in retirement unless you have, have to. My mom still has a mortgage, and my mom's pushing 80. Uh, she'll have a mortgage when she dies. It's, it's okay. She's got a pension that can easily cover that cost of living. Aim for a home you could really, really afford. So you could typically afford about two and a half times your salary. So if you're making $200,000, that means you could buy a $500,000 home. Um, there's some better you know, calculators out there other than that rule of thumb. And it depends on how much debt you have for sure. You don't want to, I mean, swimming in debt is swimming in debt, and it's stressful. I say put down anywhere between 10 to 20%. Um, 20% you're going to get a loan. It's going to be a lot easier. Uh, 10% it might be a little bit more difficult. There's a variety of you know private lenders out there as well, so I'm not speaking completely of uh, hard-set scientific rules. One of the areas that I am adamant about is when you buy a home, try to buy a home in a good school district, um, even if you don't have school-aged children. When it comes time to sell, you're going to find that 80% of buyers are single families. So a very small amount of market is single people. A very small amount of the market are retirees who are buying homes. Um, so when it comes time to sell, a strong school district is really, really important. Now you're saying, but I can't afford a small school district. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be buying, is what it comes down to. Get professional help. Um, the Internet gives you unprecedented access to home listings. Um, I have a realtor that I used that was great, and she got me into I was looking for a year and a half, and she was patient, and when the house came up that I wanted, uh, she was able to see it. She, we had been to numerous houses. I'm like, no, 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 yes, no, no, yes. Um, put a bit on that one. No, no, no. So when the house came up that was right, she knew exactly what I was looking for. Uh, she grew up in that area. She works only in that area. Um, I knew this guy who was across the bay who could probably you know, save me a little bit of money, but he didn't know what he was doing. Um, so I had to say no. I like to, when I find a home, I like to pay points. When picking a mortgage, you usually have the option of paying additional points, a portion of the interest you pay at closing, in exchange for a lower interest rate. If you stay in the house a long time, say three to five years or more, it's usually better to take the points. The lower interest rate will save you more in the long run. So you pay for a lower rate. It's kind of ridiculous. It feels kind of like a racket. There's a lot of things about buying a house that feels kind of like a racket, like, Okay, the realtor gets money to buy this. They get money when I sell this. They get money when I do the loan. Like, really, there's another fee? Um, one thing that I'd like to do is, before bidding on a home, is I like to try to live near it or try to experience it. Uh, one area that I bought many, many, many years ago, I didn't realize had just rough, brutal traffic in the morning. Uh, bottleneck traffic, kind of bad. And whoops, 
I probably would have changed because to me, buying a home, I want to be close to work. I want to be close to, you know, moving around. I don't want to be in bottlenecks everywhere I go. I like the home inspector angle. A home inspector requires, uh, most most loans now require uh, an appraisal, but that's the bank's way of determining what you are getting and what is good quality or not. But there's this guy that I used, uh, Skip Hicks. He's a home inspector. And he went around, took pictures of the roof. He says, brand new roof. That should last 15 plus years. You know, look, took a look at the foundation, took a look at the dishwasher, took a look at everything. Took pictures. So I will actually hire him again uh, just to do a home inspection. You know, let me know what's falling apart, what needs work. The electrical system was in bad shape when I moved in. You know, I wasn't going to get it all and fix it all at once. I was going to do it over time. Um, so a home inspector points out potential problems that could be costly repairs. So that's worth throwing out. The nice thing about home ownership is you're no longer paying rent for the roof over your head. You know, you're maybe paying yourself $800 principal a month or maybe a little bit more in the Bay Area. And that adds up over the year. You're like, hey, I just paid myself. Woohoo! I just paid myself $10,000 to live here this year. Um, it's a great way to accumulate wealth over time. It's a horrible liability in the short term, but over time it's a great way. Um, typically, on should you rent or, or own, the rule of thumb is that you pay 35% or less in rent than you would be would be for owning, including the monthly mortgage, property taxes, and homeowner fees. Homeowner fees. Oh, not a big fan of the townhouse in most of America, like Sacramento or Tracy. Townhouse is okay in the San Jose's or San Francisco's, really close to jobs. It is difficult. It's more difficult to, you know, resell them. They stay on the market a little bit longer. Uh, I'm not a big fan. You always have those homeowners fees and homeowners associations. Oof. Let's just say it seems like they like spending money, my money. With home, you get to pick what you pick. Uh, with homeowners, they get to. I don't like it. I'm Rob Black, talking, buying a home. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Talking, trying to put together a series kind of back to school, which gives you kind of the ABCs of money and investing. Today's topic, or the current topic right now in this podcast slash show, buying a home. Again, I think that we've been kind of wrongly set up to think that buying a home is the best investment you've ever made. A home is not an investment, it's a liability. If you lose your ability to pay the mortgage, you lose the house, and they'll come after you. Now, it's the best investment you've ever made over time, sure, kind of, well, not really. There's a study out 
that studied New York, San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, San Francisco, areas sought to be great housing markets. It studied a 30-year period, a 30-year period where um, the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, where if you had put money into the stock market, let's say you put $10,000 down on a house, put $10,000 into the stock market. Let's say you put $500 a month <clears throat> into your mortgage. And then you also spend a little bit of money you know, on things like um, – I'm dropping the word that I'm looking for um, – taxes, property taxes. That's what it was. Uh, and you put that same type of money into the SP 500 fund again. So everything that you're putting into your basic needs of the home, you put into the basic stock market. In 30 years, you'd have 300, 400% as much, 400% as much as you would had in the house versus in the stock market. Stock market taxes are a lot more favorable than taxes anywhere else, especially if you're growing it tax-deferred and reinvesting it. So just throwing that out there, uh, it's a misnomer that real estate beats stocks. Are there periods of times where it can? Sure. Real estate and buying a home is based on a premise that someone's going to buy it from you at some point in time or that you can turn it into a rental. And one of the things that you have to look at is if you turn it into a rental, how much can you get of the home's value? You typically want at least 4 to 6%. So if it's a million-dollar home, you want somewhere between forty dollars and $60,000 a year in rent. $60,000 is, what, 5000 a month? If you're not getting that, then you're underperforming what you could be getting if you sold the property and invested it in you know, a good income fund or diversified income fund or you know, in other type of assets. So the home value is important, especially when it gets turned into an, a rental. Now, one thing that I'll, I'll throw out there that I kind of like to talk about a little bit too is you know, tied towards owning a home. It's a great way to slowly accumulate wealth, but try to buy less than you need. Uh, there's a little bit of a trend going on with that already in the first place of downsizing the McMansions. But 30-something-year-old kids now, they're living in smaller apartments, and they're kind of comfortable with it. They may not get to the point where they want a two-story, 2,500-square-foot place. They may be comfortable with a 1,600-square-foot place. Um, again, the idea is you're going to sell it to someone that wants to live there, right? So one of the areas that you know this comes into is I have a million dollar home, for instance. So two and a half times my income, right? So you need a $400,000 income or you need a lot of money down to be able to afford that home. Now, I don't know a lot of people with $400,000 incomes. I don't have it. Um, I have a lot of assets, but I don't have a $400,000 income. So for the home to get to $2 million and double like the stock market's done in the last five years, for it to get to $2 million, you know, I would have to have someone have an $800,000 salary. Like, have salaries gone up in the last 10 years? No. Some salaries have, for wealthy people, for sure. Then you get into this kind of area where if the home does go up to $2 million, some of the buyers will go, 
well, honey, like we could buy 20 houses in the United States, or we could buy 10 luxury houses in the United States and travel around the country, um, or we could just buy, you know, 10 miles from here, a house worth, you know, 20 to 30 percent less. So you do get kind of caught in a situation. This is what realtors won't tell you and mortgage lenders won't tell you do radio shows and TV shows. They just say real estate always goes up, but that's just crap. It doesn't. Um, and if it does, it creates a problem. The stock market versus real estate, the stock market kind of reflects business. Um, so you kind of need business to be doing well, for people to have jobs, for people to get raises, for people to um, buy your home. So it's just something to, you know, again, try to be honest with yourself on. And I know that's difficult because I, people have that instant gratification desire much more so than they have common sense desire. When you pick a real estate agent, I always like to use people that are local in that community. Um, or you can find out who's like the highest generating agent. And they're not bad people to go with in large part because they know people. If they're you know a high volume real estate agent, that probably means they know how to sell a home and they know how to get a lot of people to look at it. Um, when I go into a home, I don't fall in love with the kitchen. I'll probably hate your kitchen. When I look at a home, I'm looking for water damage on the outside of the home. I'm looking for water damage. That's my big thing. I want to see how sound the home is before I get into something that you know is damaged and need to have new electricity because of water damage. Or it's going to need new floors because of water damage. It's going to need, you know, a new roof because of water damage. So I'm looking for water damage. So learn what to look for. You know, don't fall in love with um, a home the moment you walk in. Find something that works for you. Um, try to negotiate a fair price when you're talking with a realtor. Just because they say, you know, um, their fees are, you know, 3%. To buy a three percent sell, you could say, "Hey, how about two and a half percent or two percent, and um, I'll give you the deal." And sometimes they'll say sure, and sometimes they'll say no. Um, if a market, if a house has been on the market for more than six months, you probably have a lot more wiggle room to negotiate. So, if you're able to find that house that's been on the market for a long time, um, you might be able to get some concessions from the seller. If it's on the market under six months, it's good luck. Uh, it depends on where interest rates are and things along those lines. And the number one thing that moves the value of your home is the price of the mortgage. As interest rates move up, and they will starting in 2015, is, that's expected. As interest rates move up, it should lower the value of your home because people are able to afford a lot less through the mortgage. It's just worthy of noting. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, talking real estate.
a little back to school, the ABCs of money, finances. Everything from making priorities. Priorities is the number one thing you got to think about. Um, I've got a friend who, you know, really, really wanted a Mini Cooper. I don't understand why, but I understand. They're small and sporty. And, well, they're small and sporty. To the point that she put herself in a situation where it hurt her ability to fund retirement. Not a good thing. Her priorities kind of got mixed up there. So one of the issues that I want to talk about is debt. Americans are loaded with credit card debt. This is another lesson. Give me my tones. Students, today's lesson, controlling your personal debt. Americans are loaded with credit card debt, loaded with it. Average American household with one credit card at one point in time, a couple of years ago, was almost $16,000. Um, some debt's good, some debt's bad. Borrowing for a home or college is good. It usually makes sense. Now, I'm not, again, this is where we can kind of get into some, did you really just say that? Um, there's a lot of people out there now that are saying, you know, you know, four years of college is too much. You're spending too much. You know, um, your resume will show that you graduated for sure. But if you don't have the skills for the, the career, then you're, you're in trouble. So I think it's kind of imperative of parents to really make their sure that is make sure their kids good and mature before they go off and you know rack up a lot of college debt. Have some sort of thought about what they want to do with their life, and not just stumble upon a poetry major. Not saying poetry is bad, just saying that the careers tied towards poetry typically don't justify spending two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Keep in mind. One of the things that we talk about is you need to get to 10 to 20 times your income to retire in your nest egg. And if your kid's spending $60,000 a year on college at age 20, that 60 would become 120, it would become 240, it would become 480, it would become almost a million dollars by the time they retired at 60. So times that by four and you've you got four million dollars. So parents could say, okay, junior, you go earn, you know, some money, but I'll, I'll invest all this money in, in your retirement. It's kind of a, a pretty good question. Can you earn more than $4 million in your lifetime? Most people can't. Um, again, think about it. If you're making $100,000 a year, that's a million every 10 years. That's $4 million over a 40-year career. Um, average job in America, so, you know, depending on the median or the average, um, forty-five to 55000 most. So some debt's good. Some debt's bad. Mortgage debt's great because it's low-cost money. It's tax favorable. Love it. Um, but credit card debt, and this is always crushes me. People that use the credit card to pay for things that they don't really need is a big problem. I had credit card debt in college. I got out, kind of got away from the whole credit thing for a while, and got back into it. Um, and now I have, I, have no, I have no credit card debt month to month. Sometimes I go a little crazy making sure, like, um, all my credit cards are online, and I have them contact me, you know, 
10 days before a bill. And contact me anytime with a text message, anytime there's a bill over, you know, $200. So I use credit card debt wisely. And I've got the Fidelity American Express card that gives me 2% back on all my purchases. And I, it, after you hit, you know, basically $50 in, you know, kickbacks, it funds it automatically into your, uh, an account for you. And it can be any type of account at Fidelity. Um, and that's part of my savings plan. You know, with my spending, I could easily pull in $2,000, $2,500 a year in free money. Now, some people will use like a Southwest credit card and they'll be like, woohoo, I got a free flight. Then you have to pay for a hotel. Like, sometimes these reward programs get you to spend money that you don't normally have spent. And then is it really a reward or is it just a you know perk that you're kind of misbehaving on? Um, I use Mint.com to review all my credit cards. Uh, look at your credit card purchases. Uh, there's a cool thing that Capital One recently introduced where it's location-based swipes. So it tells you where the merchant was that you bought from, and I think that's kind of cool. So the technology's catching up, but it's still kind of an old back system. Never, ever pay just the minimum on a credit card. Uh, you'll barely cover the interest you owe. To say nothing of the principal, it'll take you years to pay off your balance. Uh, minimum payments are basically for losers or for people who aren't doing what they should be doing. Uh, watch where, where you borrow. Uh, a lot of people will take money out of their 401k. A lot of people will take money out of their home. But your home is not something to be... When I moved to the Bay Area in 2000, um, there was a big, Marin was the BMW capital of the world, not because people had the money to buy BMWs, but their house had depreciated, so they, they tapped in their house to buy it. And again, cars are depreciating asset that is one of the worst things you could buy and put on debt. So the idea of taking money out of your home to buy a car, a new car, that you just want, not that you need, but you want, it's really a flawed scenario. With debt, um, you have to expect the unexpected, so you need three to six months of emergency funds. Um, just in case there's a furnace that breaks or a damaged car, that emergency fund will help cover you know, your credit issues uh, to stop you from going into debt. Um, emergency funds are one of the most important things you can have as an investor. As someone who's trying to fund their own nest egg, that's the priority. So you have to expect the unexpected. Um, I don't pay down a mortgage ever. I find it to be good debt. Uh, mortgages tend to have the lowest interest rates. Uh, you can deduct the interest you pay on the first million of a mortgage loan. If your mortgage is a high rate and you want to lower your monthly payments, consider refinancing. Um, absolutely. You know, debt comes in many shapes, forms, and sizes. Like I said, there's good debt and there's bad debt. It's almost impossible to live debt-free. I don't want to. I think poor people should live debt-free, and I think rich people should live debt-free. For rich people, it's an inconvenience. For poor people, or lower-income people, however you want to say you know, how we're defining this, uh, you should live debt-free because debt's expensive. And if you're low-income and you can't pay your debt, then you know, you're not going to get a home loan for 4%. You're going to get a home loan for 8%. You're not going to get a credit card for 2%. You're going to get a credit card for 28%. And it should almost be criminal, but it's not. Uh, 
So it's so easy to spend what you can't afford, especially when you use a credit card. I, the person who cuts my hair, kind of funny, she does one of those credit card processing through her phone, Square. And I looked at the fees on that, about 2.5%, a little bit higher, 2.7. So out of every $100 that a customer gives her and pays on credit, she loses $2.70 to the swipe fees. And Amazon Local Register has the same exact technology and same exact transaction processing, but they'll do it for 1.5. I was like, you should switch. She's like, well, I'm kind of comfortable with what I got. They give me a lot of good data and feedback. And I'm like, you're losing for every single time you swipe, you know, a buck 20 because you're comfortable out of every $100. And she's a high volume person. Um, and then we got it talking about like, oh, and by the way, you should use this credit card, the Fidelity one, because she's got three kids. She's kind of a single mom who's living with another single dad who's got a kid. And she's like, oh, no, I don't use credit. Um, don't use credit. I use debit. I'm like, you're crazy. Just pay it off every month and you get the perks. Um, and she's like, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm against credit. I'm like, again, there's some right ways to use it. There's some bad ways to use it. A home and paying for college and using the reward systems to your advantage, as long as you pay it off every month, I'm okay with. Problem is, most people don't pay it off every month. So understand there's good debt and there's bad debt. A car, I always say, you know, I have no problem with a car payment. I understand it. I understand that some people want a forty to $60,000 car and they'll finance it. Well, my advice is get a used car, two years used, anything more and you might be inheriting some problems, anything less and it hasn't depreciated enough for you. Um, I find it sexy when I hear people buying a used car. Unfortunately, we have a stigma. I want the new car smell. Um, and even when you're buying a used car, two years used, it's, it's expensive, but I don't want you hitting the emergency fund. I want you building it into your budget, and I want you to buy the right vehicle for you. Um, you know, I've said when I turn 50, I'll buy a new car. It'll be my first new car in many, 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 many years. And it'll be a Tesla. It'll be a total gift for myself. And I'm giving myself years to save for it. I'm giving myself years to build it into my budget. And I'm driving a car that I haven't had a car payment on in six years, maybe longer. Anyhow, uh, talking a little debt, Rob Black and your money, I'm Rob Black.
So we're doing a back-to-school special. Always enjoy those back-to-school specials, or after-school specials, or very special shows. I'm going to try to do more of them, where it's a unique topic for a day. Today, doing a back-to-school, talking about borrowing to pay debts, um, home equity line of credit. It's okay in some instances to handle personal debt, but generally speaking, I'd prefer that you don't go out and buy furniture with a home equity line of credit or appliances. Uh, They don't add to your home value, and they're depreciating assets. Uh, Retail stores often charge high interest rates on these things. So when you borrow money for home improvements or home items, uh, try to do it as cheaply as you can. Read the deals. Uh, One thing that I won't do also is with debt is, you know, when you go into a store and they offer the store credit card, uh, part of your credit score is, is factored into how long have you owned this card. So if you go in and get a Macy's card and today you get 10% off, you just open up a new card and the average age of your credit cards just went down. Um, and then you're going to potentially go buy a home next year. You just messed up. Um, the advantages of a home equity line of credit staying with that topic for another second or two, they typically charge interest rates that are less than half what credit cards charge. Plus, the interest you pay may be deductible. May. There's one potential very significant drawback when you borrow against your house to pay off credit cards. If you default on your home equity loan payments, you lose your home. And again, if you've gotten to the point where you have to borrow money from your home to pay your credit card, you're in trouble. You've done something wrong. Um... Just throwing that out there. Again, you know, debt is important. I do think you will want to check your credit reports on RACIS to see your credit reports kind of help you understand your debt. And I do this not quarterly, but every four months I go out and pull a credit report. And I set a reminder to pull it in four more months. Um, There's a good website, annualcreditreport.com. And you can choose when you're there you get a free annual credit report once a year from either Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion. So I spread it out between the three. I spread it out between the three over those four months of the year. Um, each of them collect information on your credit history. A credit score is derived from that. That score is a quick way for lenders to assess how risky you are as a potential borrower. The higher your score, the less risk you pose to lenders. The score is commonly referred to as a FICO score, which was a system developed by Fair Isaac. Um, but if you check out annualcreditreport.com, you can start seeing some of these things. Um, on top of that, it will tell you if you've been turned down for credit. It will you know, show you your employment history, your housing history. Um, so it tells you a lot. And, for instance, I missed a mortgage payment probably, I want to say, eight or nine years ago. And I was using a mortgage company that they didn't have online payments, which I hate because I hate stamps. I hate thinking, okay, end of the month, i got to write my mortgage. I've got to stay on top of this piece of mail. I hate mail now. Mail to me is just archaic. It's a horrible, horrible system. I know people like to get mail. I know it makes you feel good, but it's – you get where I'm going at with this. So anyway, I I think I sent in my payment. I got a notice that, you know, I didn't, and I missed my payment. Um, 
and it's on my credit report. And it's a pretty easy thing to, to explain. When I went to get a mortgage, I said, okay, well, I missed a mortgage payment because this is what happened. I sent it in, I checked with them. They said they didn't get it. I tried to send it in as soon as I could. And uh, this is what happened. And ultimately, I'm not going to say all was forgiven, but all was kind of forgiven because it did make sense. The story kind of panned out. It took a letter, but it did pan out. So part of the segment lesson is called controlling your personal debt. Controlling. You always want to control your debt while accomplishing your financial goals, and you want to make your debt work for you. Think of a mortgage debt as you're paying yourself rent, and that works over time. Um, think of college debt as you're paying for a career income, and that works out over time. Credit card's not good. It's way too easy to get in credit card issues. Uh, I've done it. Uh, I got to the point in college where I had so much credit card debt, I think it was like $6,000, but by the time I started paying them back, it was almost $10,000. Um, and I had to borrow money from my parents, and I said, I'll, I'll pay you back rather than pay the bank back, and I did, and it was embarrassing and humiliating, but being straddled with debt is a bad thing. Parents, I recommend a secure credit card for your kid when they turn 18, uh, maybe 16. You fund it with $500, and it's got a $500 limit. You could put in alerts that alerts you and... Spitting has hit X amount of dollars. You can put in email alerts that it alerts you when, you know, the big ticket purchases happen. You can do it in real time with text messages. Um, but a secure credit card lets your kid start developing credit. Because part of a credit score is age of credit lines, you know. How long have you got that credit line been open? How long have the banks been open? Are you... When you go to borrow money, do you want to look like you, yeah, I've used seven banks in six years, and that's not going to look good. That's going to say, like, this person's a little unstable. So a secure credit card, and there's a great website called bankrate.com, bankrate.com. And bankrate.com has one more thing that you can shop for. Like, if you want a no annual fee credit card or an annual fee that gives you better perks, um, I get it. So uh, bankrate.com, you could shop for the card that you are most likely to use or the one that you're looking for. Um, again, last time I'll say it, secure credit card for teenagers, I think makes a lot of sense, and it actually helps their future. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.